The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am really excited about this week's episode. This is new for me. I've never had a former astronaut on the show. I've never talked about space on the show. And if you're wondering what this has to do with wellness or the topics that we normally cover on the show, it actually has everything to do with it. And I'll explain how and why in a second. But my guest today is Mike Massimino. He is a former NASA astronaut, as I said. He is a professor of mechanical engineering at Columbia and the senior advisor for space programs at the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum. He received a Bachelor of Science from Columbia master's degrees in mechanical engineering and in technology and policy, as well as a PhD in mechanical engineering from MIT. So he is very smart. He is very fun. He has incredible stories from both his time in space and his journey in pursuit of being an astronaut, which had so many roadblocks. And he has a new book out called Moonshot, A NASA Astronaut's Guide to Achieving the Impossible. And basically, he says, we all have our personal moonshots. So in this book, he distills stories and insights from NASA into an actionable guide to accomplish your biggest goals. He talks about how to make the seemingly impossible possible. And he relates it all to his time, like I said, training for space and being in space. And I read the book in one night. It's so interesting. He's so funny. And it has so many applicable concepts that you can apply no matter what your circumstances are. So in the episode today, we are talking about all of that. We are talking about specific details and how he overcame challenges and roadblocks in his pursuit of becoming an astronaut and throughout his career. We talk about some of those concepts that I mentioned, like one in a million is not zero. I think this is something that we can all embrace. We talked about embracing adversity. We talked about just marveling at the miracle of life, which I think is something that we all kind of lose in the day to day. He also talks about his perspective about life on Earth, having been in space multiple times and looked back at Earth and how that shifted things for him and so much more. So really, this is a wellness episode. I think you guys will find it really fascinating and perspective shifting for yourselves too. So please enjoy Mike Massimino and check out his book, Moonshot. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Ariel. (laughs) Thanks for having me here. Really excited to talk to you. We actually have a personal connection. We sure do. Because you know my husband and you've actually worked with him in the past on Big Bang Theory. And when I told him that I was going to be interviewing you, he just had the most wonderful things to say (laughs) about you. So I'm really excited to talk to you. And this is kind of a unique interview for my show, as we were talking about before we started recording. You know, everything on my show is kind of under the wellness umbrella. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So the listeners might be thinking, what does space travel mm-hmm. <laughs> and an astronaut <laughs> have to do with wellness? Mm-hmm. But you have this new book out, Moonshot, which I was lucky enough to read before it came out. And the lessons that you learned and the perspective that you gained from your experience of both becoming an astronaut and going to space are so relevant to everybody. And something that you said that I love is that we all have our own personal moonshot. Mm-hmm. And I think we let a lot of the fears and kind of self-imposed limitations get in the way of achieving those. And so mm-hmm. I think maybe like to start everybody listening should just think of what their moonshot is. And while we're having this conversation, yeah. hold that in their mind. So your moonshot was becoming an astronaut, right? It was, Ariel. And thank you for the intro. And Chuck is one of my favorite people. It was <laughs> such it was such a pleasure to get to work with him and his and his staff crew, the cast, everybody. It was such a great group of people. And so it, was, it felt like a real family. Mm-hmm. And they adopted me into that family. <laughs> Pretty cool, almost as cool as flying in space. I was saying it's the cool, <laughs> second coolest thing I did was getting a chance to be a part of the Big Bang Theory. Uh-huh. So it's great seeing you. You too. My personal moonshot, yes, was developed by watching Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. I'm old enough to remember that. I was six years old when that happened. And it made me want to grow up to be an astronaut and to be like Neil Armstrong. But as time went on, Ariel, I figured I'm never, I'm never going to be Neil Armstrong. I was this kind of skinny, awkward kid, grew up in, in Long Island, a working class neighborhood. I, I, I was afraid of heights. I still don't like heights. And just kind of not your typical, per, not the typical kid you would say is going to grow up and do something adventurous. <laughs> I uh, couldn't see very well. I had bad eyesight at an early age. And so I just like, there's no way this can happen. As I got older, when I was in college, I went to the movies and I saw this movie, The Right Stuff. It's based on a book by Tom Wolfe brought out to me what was really important to me. And I think, you, know, you mentioned people have their moonshots or maybe they're trying to find what their moonshot is. I, I think you sometimes have to be really honest with yourself of what is important to you. And people can tell you, oh, well, you should be interested in, oh, you should try to do this and you should try to do that. And this was important. I think all of us maybe down deep, hopefully have something that really, it matters to them. And it might be family. It might be, who knows what it might be, but I mean, there might be something that really is important to, to you, I, I think, speaking to the, to the listeners. And sometimes you have to be honest with yourself and say, all right, this is really what, what ma- it matters to me. And what I thought was important was the space program and exploring space. I thought that's the most important thing you could do with your life. But I thought I could never be a part of it. I didn't think I'd be qualified. I think it was that kind of person. That, but I realized that I had this passion and this interest, and I had to at least give it a try and find out. So that's what I did. After working after college a couple of years as an engineer, I decided to go to graduate school and, and pursue this astronaut dream, fully aware that it probably wasn't going to happen because it's kind of a one in a million shot, <laughs> but one in a million is not zero. There's always a chance. Yeah. As long as you try, there's yeah. always a chance. You owe it to yourself to, to give yourself a chance, even, mm-hmm. even the odds are against you. If, if it's a, one out of a million, it's non-zero outcome. Mm-hmm. One out of a million is just a very small number. It's a very small probability. It's a decimal point with a lot of zeros and a one at the end. Mm-hmm. But once you give up or you don't try, that's when that one disappears at the end and the probability of success is zero and you will not be successful. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I always had that in mind that as long as I keep trying, as long as I don't give up, no matter what happens, I just keep trying, there's a chance. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it worked out. And if it can work out for me, it can work out for anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's absolutely mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind. 
I loved that in your book when you talked about that that concept that one in a million is not zero. It's yeah. point zero 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 zero. Yeah, a lot of six zero one. Yeah, <laughs> but that's not nothing. It becomes nothing when you give up on that dream and yeah. you have some questions at the end of each chapter. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions after that was, "How would you feel in ten years? Yeah. How would you feel in twenty five years if you give up?" And I think that that's just so illuminating mm-hmm. for people. It's interesting to even think about it. And I think it's even more powerful when you get to writing it. Like I'm a big proponent of mm-hmm. writing things down because I always think they're one way in my head. Mm-hmm. And then something about putting pen to paper and just letting it flow, mm-hmm. the truth comes out. So I think like for people listening, they could even do this exercise mm-hmm. around what is their moonshot? What is that thing that like, that they really want, whether it is family, whether it's career wise, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. And then how would they feel if they did not pursue that? I felt like I could live with myself if I kept getting rejected or told no for whatever mm-hmm. reason. That was understandable. I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work out no matter how hard we try. We can control we can control the effort, but not the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. We can't always <laughs> control the way things are gonna go, but we certainly can control whether or not we give up or whether or not we try. And, and I felt like, well, as long as I try, I can I can live with that. As long as I keep trying and I keep, they tell me no, I, they being NASA and I can't do this. All right, that's just that's the way it goes. But I, I, I don't think I would have been able to live with myself if I gave up. To mm-hmm. me, that was, I think, a surefire way to, to, live, to become regretful. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned those years going by. <laughs> like, so when I went back to grad school, uh, you know, I had already, I'd gone through undergrad and four years and then two years of working. I mean, I was young. I was in my mid-20s. But at the time, you think you're older than you are, right? Yes. Except now at my age, I'm old for sure. So that's the difference. <laughs> no, but you know, when, I, when I was younger, kind of, well, is it worth all these years? You're going to put all these. That time will pass no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And you're either going to do that or something else or pursue your dream or not or whatever it is. But it's not like that, that time's not going to pass. And how you spend every minute is important. And when it comes to trying to, trying to achieve your moonshot, it's worth your time. I mean, it's if it's a dream or goal, something you want, it's worth putting in that time as mm-hmm. opposed to something else that maybe you don't care as much about. That time's going to be spent doing something anyway. So it might as well be spent doing something that you think is worthwhile. And, and if it doesn't work out, it'll probably leave you in a pretty good place as well. I remember after, after I got rejected my first two times outright when I applied to NASA, the third astronaut class I applied for, I was interviewed for, and then I was medically disqualified. <laughs> because of your vision? Because of my eyesight. Yeah, my <laughs> eyesight caught up with me. I didn't pass the eye exam. And <laughs> back then, they didn't have LASIK. I don't know if LASIK existed. They didn't accept anything, though. Okay. If you couldn't see, you know, they couldn't do any medical procedure. That was totally disqualifying forever. It was pretty disheartening because once you're medically disqualified, you're considered to be unfit for duty. They won't even read your application anymore. They said, we will not even spend one second looking at your application again. As that's that's pretty disappointing because I couldn't even try again. That was that was really bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I started thinking about it and realized I had to figure out a way to see better somehow. Mm-hmm. And I found out about vision training, which is mainly done with kids, apparently. <laughs> I, when I, I discovered, when I made a point with the optometrist, Dr. Hopping walks in and says, you're here for vision training. It only works with kids. I never <laughs> had a patient over 10 years old. But Ariel, I assured her I could be really immature. <laughs> she wanted to know the difference between me and any time. So I begged her. I goes, it's my only hope. So she helped me, and it was, it was you know, teaching your eyes how to relax and kind of focus beyond what they're looking at. It's almost like a brain trick, but it worked 
Mm. And I was able to read the eye chart a little bit better so I could at least requalify and apply a fourth time. And I got another interview and passed the eye exam in that time. But I remember waiting around to get the news. I, I, I interviewed in October and the news wasn't going to come out until the spring. And it ended up coming out. And we were told, and as it turned out, in April. But you really don't know until they make their decision. But I figured it was sometime in the spring. I remember going on spring break with my family. We were living in Atlanta. I'd gotten my PhD. I'd gotten some work experience with NASA. And I had taken a faculty position at Georgia Tech. And I was there with my family. I was like, you know, there's a pretty good chance they're just going to tell me no again. And I'll keep trying. But at least I felt like I had found something that I also liked. It wasn't mm -hmm. maybe plan A and it was maybe plan A dot one or B mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, it wasn't the real goal. And I was going to keep trying for that big goal, for the big brass ring, as you might say. But I, it got me to a really good place. It gave me motivation to get more education. I had learned how to fly airplanes. I had a private pilot's license. I had learned to scuba dive. I had worked at NASA and flown some experiments in space and and I was now doing that and teaching at, at Georgia Tech. And it was, wasn't a bad place at all to end up. So I think mm -hmm. that when you're, you're pursuing a goal, a dream for the right reasons, if it doesn't work out, I think you might still find yourself in a pretty good place, mm -hmm. better than when you started, even if it doesn't work out. But you never know. You got to keep trying. I have gotten so many inquiries into my hair health lately, and I've talked about what I do topically. I also disclose the fact that I have some extensions in the back for length, but honestly, my hair has never been healthier. And this is after going through a bit of a slump, a bit of a challenge last summer, 2022, when it came to my hair. I had a lot of thinning around my hairline. I was shedding a lot. And I think that it was all linked to stress. I started using Nutrafol at that time. So it's been almost a year and a half that I have been using it. And it completely changed the thickness of my hair. It filled that area in. And the cool thing about Nutrafol that I really appreciate is that it targets root causes. So it's not just a Band-Aid approach. So things like stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism, these can all be contributing to thinning hair. So Nutrafol really is for whole body health which then helps with your hair health. So it is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. It's clinically shown to improve visible thickness and strength. And I've said this before, but everyone from my hair people to my nurse practitioner who does injectables and wellness things for me to plastic surgeons and other doctors that I know and I visit, they all not only carry it, but they use it and they recommend it as well. So you can go to Nutrafol.com. You can take their hair health wellness quiz. We all love a quiz. This can help to identify causes of your thinning hair and Nutrafol will give you a personalized plan for better hair growth through their whole body health approach. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering my listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code BLONDE. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code BLONDE. Again, that's Nutrafol.com promo code BLONDE. 
Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, star of The Real Housewives of Dubai, entrepreneur, wife, and mother of three, once divorced and now remarried to a much younger man, uncut and uncensored with Caroline Stanbury follows me as I live my life unapologetically and shows you that there is life after 40. I discuss everything from relationships, health, wellness, business, parenting, friendships. I'm here to let you know that not only is there a life after divorce, but you have the power to make it your best one yet, just like I did. Listen to all new episodes every Wednesday, anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm going to be doing an episode on my favorite wellness habits and routines that I will be continuing in 2024. And you probably know if you've been listening to the show for a while that one of these routines that has really been foundational for me for years is AG1. So I have been drinking AG1 since I believe 2018. I remember having gut issues at that time and I remember specifically being in my car in Malibu having a call with the AG1 team before we started working together and they were talking about how AG1 came to be and basically the founder was having really bad debilitating gut issues was taking hundreds of supplements and nothing was working and that was something that really resonated with me and so that is how AG1 came to fruition and of course now it's so much more than just something that helps with gut optimization, although it does that too. It's really a foundational nutrition supplement. So it supports your body's universal needs like gut health, stress management, and immune support. And they have been leading the future of foundational nutrition since 2010. So they've continuously refined their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So if you're thinking about how you want to refine your wellness routines going into 2024, or you just want to incorporate more foundational health habits, definitely give AG1 a try. It's so convenient. It's essentially just one scoop every morning or whenever you want to drink it during the day. It has prebiotics, probiotics. It has digestive enzymes for gut support, magnesium, B vitamins for energy support, adaptogens to balance the body's stress levels, vitamin C, zinc, things that can really help support the immune system. So it can replace your need to take a bunch of other supplements. And for me, it's just something that I've really come to look forward to and crave. I drink it first thing in the morning before I have my matcha, before I eat anything. And I just feel this kind of clarity and this little zip of energy. I love the flavor. It's what I look forward to when I first wake up. So AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support that my body needs daily. And that's why they have been a partner for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash blondefiles. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash blondefiles. Check it out. It is so crazy that the holidays are almost upon us. They are going to come and go so quickly. And I don't know how you guys are, but once we get into the new year, when January comes, I go into this kind of hermit nesting phase where I am devoting a lot of time and energy to my space and my home and trying to make it as cozy and comfortable as possible for those darker, shorter, but very long 
few winter months. So the best way to do this is by checking out Article because Article really has something for everybody. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple, but it's also affordable as well. Article's team of designers are all about finding the perfect balance between style, quality, and price. They are dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and looks good doing it. I got my Gabriola ivory boucle chairs last spring, maybe, and they still look good as new. It was such a great process from start to finish. They arrived really quickly. The delivery was seamless. They helped to move my existing furniture and put the new furniture together. And I got so many compliments on them. I also got the bench and I just checked out the website today and they have so many new beautiful pieces, whether it's for your bedroom, your living room, your dining room, your office, or if you are just looking to make some updates with your decor. Article offers fast, affordable shipping across the US and Canada. Plus, they won't leave you waiting around. You pick the delivery time and they will send you updates every step of the way. And now Article is offering my listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash blonde and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash blonde for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. When did you get accepted to be an astronaut? So you did the visual mm-hmm. training, yeah. which I heard you talking about that in an interview, and then I tried doing it myself yeah. no. <laughs> with like YouTube videos. I was yeah. like, this sounds great for what I'm going through right now, everybody. I have like some kind of visual vertigo thing going on. Yeah. I was trying to like look at something yeah. and focus on the thing behind yeah. it, and I'm yeah. getting dizzier and dizzier. I'm like, maybe yeah. not <laughs> on my own. Maybe yeah. I need a medical professional. Yeah. Well, you need a real reason to do it. I want to worry yeah. about it. But yeah. If you don't, you know, there's glasses, contacts, LASIK. There's yeah, all yeah. other options. And NASA accepts those now, by the way, too. Oh. All the rules are rewritten. Yeah. Oh this was man, you had to do it the hard stuff. way. Yeah. Uh, but progress always comes too late. Yeah. <laughs> so it only it was only a couple of years ago they changed that. Anyone listening out there that wants to apply to NASA, don't worry if you can't see well. No yeah. reason to do any of this stuff anymore. <laughs> as long as you're correctable oh in 2020, wow. you're, you're good to go. So you improved your vision mm-hmm. on your own. You yeah. went back, you got approved for the vision test, yep. but then you went back for another test three weeks later, right? And they yeah. said, oh, you have to do the vision test again. And you said, <laughs> yeah. what? Yeah. I just did it. Once I was able to improve my vision with this training, I submitted information to NASA. And so I think they were still a little leery, you know, because mm-hmm. they were like, the flight surgeon was like, this is hocus pocus. This is really not anything, you know, it was just, you know, this idea that you can, as you mentioned, you're trying to focus beyond what you're looking at in, you know, your brain. This is not like a, like something that is, uh, that you typically would do to, yeah. to, to improve an ailment, right? Yeah. So that they were pretty skeptical, like, all right, not so fast. Be- they wanted to interview me again. But before I could come in for the interview week, and I was living in Atlanta at that time, I had to come down to Houston at my own expense and go through the eye exam because they wanted to make sure that I wasn't just going to fail again. I came in and I passed the eye exam. And so they said, all right, now you can come in for the interview. And the interview is, as you said, three weeks later. And I show up to that, to the, you know, throw, go through the whole process. And I see the eye exam is there. And so I went to the flight. And, Do I need to take this? Why? No, I, I just took this test. You know, I'm clear. And they go, Oh, no, no, that was three weeks ago. Something might have changed. So they made me take it again. And I, I don't have this detail in the book, but I, I failed. 
I took the test in the in the chair and I failed the the test. I'm like, oh my goodness. So now I'm I'm, in, I'm on the DQ pile again. But they give you a second chance at a lot of things during mm -hmm. that interview week. So mm -hmm. the eye doctor had known what I had been through. He's like, look, Mike, you didn't pass, but why don't you go home and get a good night's rest and try to relax. Come in first thing in the morning and you know, we'll give it another try. We'll see what happens. And so he met me there early. I think he opened up the office early for me. I went over there to NASA and he tested me and I was able to pass. So it worked out, but I was like, oh, man. <laughs> you, you never know. You think you're you're clear and mm -hmm. you're over hurdle and then you find out that you're not and mm -hmm. you just got to keep going. This is part of it. And mm -hmm. I had this happen to me before other times in life too. Like I, I failed my qualifying exam. Again, this is not in the book, but I failed my qualifying exam when I was at MIT trying to get my, my PhD, you have to take this kind of comprehensive exam. And I failed this thing. And I went in to see my advisor to get the news after the exam was over. And I said, I didn't pass, did I, Tom? Tom Sheridan is my advisor. And he said, there's no Mike, you didn't. And uh, I go, what do we do now? And he says, well, you know, typically we give people a second chance. But I was, the committee and I were talking about it and you did so poorly. We don't, we don't really think you can, you, there's enough, <laughs> enough time for you to improve. You might, it might not be worth your while to try again in six months. And I go, well, let me think about it. And I came back and saw him like a day later and, and, and said, you know, I, what the heck, I want to give it another try. I, I didn't prepare well, what, the right way. So I, I ended up studying differently with the people from my lab helping me by grilling me with questions and I was able to get by it the second time. But I remember telling him when I went back to see him and I said, I'd like to take this exam again. He kind of smiled at me and said, uh, you know, Mike, if, if one can learn to live with indignities in life, one can go far. That was, mm -hmm. I think it was an academic way of saying if, if you can learn to get knocked down and beat up because you're trying to do something that's a little bit over your head like I was doing. I always felt like I'm doing something. I had no business being at MIT trying to get a PhD. That was well beyond what I envisioned for myself, but I was giving it a try. And when you do that, when you stretch yourself and you're out of your comfort zone, it's not going to necessarily go easily for you. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go smoothly. And I, I got knocked down, but I got back in there and was able to pass a second time. And it was the same thing with the, you know, with the, with the medical things or whatever obstacles are, you know, the first time I got rejected from NASA, I was like, well, I felt I needed uh, more education. And I got that. Second time I got it rejected was right after I was doing my education. And I was like, well, I need to get some experience. And then the third time I got rejected, it was for a medical reason. And mm -hmm. uh, like, how do you change that? But there's, there's a way around things. And I've found that all the successful people that I've met, like you and Chuck and other people, no matter what form of business or what their life's goals are or whatever it might be, People who are successful and not they're not those who never fail they're those who never let failure stop them mm -hmm. and you've got to find a, a, a way around those obstacles and, and keep going mm -hmm. yeah i think that you know this is kind of an overgeneralization. at least in my life i can look back at the biggest obstacles mm -hmm. and the greatest you know moments of adversity and i can see how those propelled me to where i am now mm -hmm. it's not always from the successes yeah. that you're going to grow. No. I mean, they help, you know, they can be like a little mm -hmm. bit of a nudge, but when you have to figure out how to yeah. recalibrate and go a different direction and try a different thing, get a little yeah. scrappy, like yeah. when you get humbled, like those are the yeah. moments that you really grow. Yeah. You know, I think that people are more aware of this now, but there is still this misconception that successful people just have a straight trajectory, <laughs> linear <laughs> up and that's it and 
<laughs> I was talking about this on a recent podcast with someone else, an entrepreneur, and he was like, no, no. He's like, it's not a straight line. It's squiggly. Yeah. It's so squiggly. It's up yep. and down and all around and yeah. just generally moving in the direction that you want to go. Yes. I wanted to ask you, what mm-hmm. were some of the maybe toughest mental and physical preparations for going into space mm-hmm. that we may not expect? Because there were some mm-hmm. things that you were talking about in your book. I mean, you had the the incident with the parasailing where you like belly flopped. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, why are they parasailing? I guess it yeah. makes sense landing in water. But just so many things that I wouldn't think about yeah. when you think about going to space, learning how to be in zero gravity and mm-hmm. the space suit. And, you know, you got wrapped in the the tether. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All yep. these things. But what were for you the toughest parts of that preparation I, th- I was never never much of a thrill seeker you know and i kind of avoided a lot of like i didn't like heights it's I funny avoided how, those. how <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, you know for me I, i'm willing to take a risk if it's worth it my wife had a significant birthday a few years ago and she wanted to jump out of an airplane right it's on her birthday mm-hmm. and i go that sounds really cool and then she said i wouldn't it be great if we did it together and i thought you know that would i said that would be great that would be that's not happening i'm not <laughs> unless the airplane's on fire mm-hmm. and i'm really sure i'm not gonna be able to land safely then i'll and i have a parachute on i'll take my chance yeah. but other than that the airplane's working i'm not leaving it yeah <laughs> and the reason we had to learn how to parasail was we were going to be trained we trained in t-38 jet trainers which were really cool and if you got a, a problem with the airplane you might have to eject out of the airplane in an ejection seat and come down in a parachute we had land survival training because you may end up in a remote area or you may end up in a water and you want to stay alive in the water until the helicopter mm-hmm. comes get you, right? Mm-hmm. And for the shuttle, same issue more or less is that one of the abort scenarios we had for the space shuttle is that you can't make it to space and you're heading out over the ocean and you can't turn around to get to the runway at the Kennedy Space Center and you can't make, we had abort sites over in, in Southern uh, Europe and Northern Africa. If you couldn't get to one of those, you're stuck, you're going in the water. So you would bail out when, and then you have, so the thing is you have to survive in the water uh-huh. and that, when you mentioned something, one of the toughest things, one of the things that I was most worried about was this water survival training we were going to have to go through, not so much the training, but we were warned when we got it, when I got accepted as an astronaut, we, you know, we got a phone call and they say, you know, we'd like to see if you're still interested. I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> of course. And then we got a packet of info. And the opening letter said, you know, congratulations. And then the next paragraph was practice your swimming. I was like horrified because I had never really learned to swim very well. One thing after another for it's, you. It's one thing after the other. <laughs> I mean, that was my own, you know, I never really took to the water very well. They told me that, you know, what we were going to have to do. We were going to have to swim all these laps and do stuff with treading water. And it all had to be with your full flight suit on. Like I, what I was more concerned about, I think, was just looking like an idiot. Mm. Because here I'm going to be with all these high performing people, mm-hmm. you know, and these military test pilots and all these other types of people that do things really well and this is one of the first things we were going to do so i practiced over that few months i had and then we showed up for work and after our first week this guy jeff ashby who was uh, from a previous class navy pilot comes in he was our uh, sponsor so he comes in on this friday afternoon when we had our final lecture was over he says all right you know that was first week's done i want to remind everyone that next week our Training begins in earnest, and we're going to start with the swim test. Oh, so I was like, really, the swim test? We're going to start with, the, how about a math quiz? Can we do that? How about that? And I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. He then goes on to say, who are the strong swimmers in this class? And he had a 
few of our people raised their hands. We had a, a couple Navy qualified divers and other people felt they were good swimmers. And then they said, all right, more important, who are the weak swimmers? Don't lie to me, right? <laughs> and so I raised my hand, right? And, and he said, okay, uh, everyone else can leave, can go home for the weekend, but the strong swimmers and the weak swimmers are going to stay after class and you're going to find a time to meet. You're going to arrange a time to meet at a pool over the weekend and the strong swimmers are going to help the weak swimmers with their swimming because when we go to the pool on Monday, no one leaves the pool until everyone passes the test. That kind of set set me up for what we were in for as a as far as teamwork goes. That mm-hmm. we're in this together, and if you're good at something, your job is to to help. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be Michael Phelps, and if one of your classmates failed the swim test and you set a world record, that didn't really matter that day. You know, good for you, but we don't care about that. So you didn't help your your the people who needed that help. The other thing in there, Ariel, that I thought maybe was more important is that when you need help, you need to speak up. Yeah. In other words, if I would have pretended that I was this great swimmer and I need any help, and then I go there and hold the class back, that's not helping anybody, right? That's mm-hmm. not helping the team. And so it's hard for us sometimes to admit when we need to mm-hmm. need help. And maybe we try to not, don't want to admit that or hide it. But in the business I was in with, with space flight, I think life in general, when you're trying to get things accomplished and do things maybe as a family or as a team or with other people, if you have something wrong, if you're hurt, if you're not feeling well, you didn't get a chance to do what you needed to do to prepare, or you just don't know what's going on, you just can't get this concept or whatever it is, you don't feel good about it and you're not ready, you need to let people know mm-hmm. because you're affecting them as well and you're affecting the, the what the outcome could be. Mm-hmm. And you would actually get in trouble at NASA if you did not admit that something <laughs> was wrong. If you were struggling and you didn't admit you needed any help, that hurt the team mm-hmm. and that was unacceptable. You would never get in trouble for admitting you needed help and accepting it. That was never a problem. It was never a burden for us to help each other. Mm-hmm. But you needed to understand, hey, I need help in this, and you need to admit it. And admitting mistakes was another thing. We're going to mm-hmm. make mistakes, but you need to admit those so other people can learn from them. Mm-hmm. If you didn't admit them and you tried to hide them and you were found out, then you couldn't be trusted. You weren't punished or held back for your inadequacies or things that you didn't feel good about. You were helped. Mm-hmm. And your job was to understand that other people may not be good at things that you're good at and you need to help them. But the team's success was your success and Mm -hmm. and that was a wonderful way to go to work. Mm -hmm. And regarding making mistakes, this is another thing that you talk about in the book and you talk about the 30 second rule, (laughs) which is essentially you can wallow for 30 seconds, right? You can call yourself names, you can ruminate, Mm -hmm. but then you figure out how to move forward. Mm -hmm. You don't have, you, you said, you know, when you're in space, you don't have a week to waste and so many of us do this i think we make a mistake we do something wrong you know that we didn't Mm want to do whatever the situation is and we start to spiral yep and it knocks around in our head and we look at it from different angles i'm speaking for myself Uh, i will look at something (laughs) from 10 different angles i fire off voice notes to my friends that are 10 minutes long (laughs) trying to look at it from a different perspective you know and i will spend so much time on something yeah and it's done like it's done (laughs) yeah um and i really loved that like this idea of the 30 second rule and i actually remember a couple years ago i think i had a therapist on my show Mm -hmm. who had a similar concept where she said you know you can have like a designated five minutes a day Mm -hmm. for like your you know self-pity time Uh and your rumination time and that's your time to do it yeah 
and then you move on. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love that. I, I mean, I would imagine in space, like you have to be focusing at what is in front of you and what is next. You can't be thinking about what you just did wrong. Right. And my, my nature is to do that as well. You know, mm-hmm. Some people I think cover up their mistakes or deny them or have excuses and, mm-hmm. and others beat themselves up over it. And I'm one of the beat yourself up over it kind of people when mm-hmm. I do something wrong, I don't forgive myself. That was mm-hmm. the way, way I, I think that's the way I would like to think I used to be more like that. And until I learned this rule, this 30 second rule that you're, you're going to make mistakes. I was talking to a friend of mine who was visiting an astronaut. Woody Holberg was visiting me at Columbia and talking to some students. And he was asked by the students, what's the most valuable lesson that you learned as an astronaut? He just blurted out that I, I learned how to be okay with making mistakes because mm. that's what we're going to do in, in life. And, and, you know, if you can ruminate over it and lose it, you, no one wants to lose any time. You never get that, not even one second. You're not going to get any of it back, but you're going to feel bad. And it's okay to feel bad when you make a mistake. You can feel terrible about it. You know, maybe you said something you didn't mean, or you did something that was you, you forgot to do, or you did something wrong, or you weren't prepared. Who knows what? That happens to me a few times a day, both mm-hmm. in my professional life and personally. I do dumb things all the time. I think it's important to recognize that you made a mistake, and it's okay to feel awful about it and to beat yourself up about it. But just don't vocalize any of this, you know, because mm-hmm. you can scare people. But, you know, like when I made a mistake on orbit, for example, I stripped a screw while we were doing a repair on the telescope and we couldn't continue and we weren't going to be able to bring this instrument back to life and we wouldn't find out if there's life in the universe and everyone was going to blame me. <laughs> and it was a bonehead move. The team ended up coming up with a solution in the end. But I, that was only only possible if I was an active crew member still. Mm-hmm. So the, this this lesson I learned was from Megan MacArthur, one of my crewmates. He learned it from C.J. Sturkow, a Marine pilot in our office, a test pilot astronaut. And it was give yourself 30 seconds of remorse. Mm-hmm. So I made this mistake. Take a time out and just you know, rip yourself a new one. Mm-hmm. I'm the worst astronaut ever. Mm-hmm. Why did they ever select me? I should be doing something different with my life. This is terrible. It's the dumbest thing I've ever done. Blah, 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 blah. And then at 30 seconds, it's over. You know, get it all, do it internally, get it all out of your head, get it all out there, and then move on. It's in the past. Just leave it. Mm-hmm. Leave it behind because your team needs you. In in the case of spaceflight, the team, the team needs you to be a participating member and be part of the solution. I couldn't just check out for a week or even mm-hmm. a minute. They needed me. Mm-hmm. And I think you also owe it to yourself not to check out. Because mm-hmm. as you said, you don't get that time back. And you're spinning your wheels and going crazy and not living life because you're living in the misery of something that you did wrong. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can try to make it better. But yeah. the only way to make it better is to leave it in the past. Yeah, And that's what we did. All right, it's done. And now we're working on the solution. And I'm not going to have that regret. I'm not going to losing that regret. Let's focus on what we can do moving forward mm-hmm. to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of an exercise that we have in recovery. I've been mm-hmm. sober for many years mm-hmm. and there's essentially this nightly review where mm-hmm. you review your day. Where was I dishonest, afraid, mm-hmm. selfish, self-centered? Do I owe an apology? What can I do to make it right? Mm-hmm. So you can kind of take inventory and say, oh, I should apologize to that person. And I was okay. like a little dishonest here. I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that. And then it very explicitly <coughs> says, but we don't drift mm-hmm. into worry or remorse mm-hmm. because that would diminish our usefulness to others. Yeah. So it's like you deal with it and you move on. <laughs> yeah. Same idea. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to look at it because yeah. I think a, a lot of us, 
we to do something for ourselves we're like okay you know, and we deserve to do things for ourselves that's important you know this mm-hmm. is we're about wellness and so on mm-hmm. but also think about what you're doing to other people you're yeah. walking around with a cloud over your head like eeyore you're not helping your family or your spouse yeah. or your partner or people at work or the people around you or anyone you're coming into contact with mm-hmm. when you're down in the dumps because of something that happened that you can't do anything about so you think of it that way think of your impact on others and mm-hmm. how that's affecting you mm-hmm. i think i've already made at least one mistake so far today and i'm sure <laughs> i'm going to make a lot more before the day's over yeah and you can't wallow over it just yeah. a, a remorse i'm going to learn from it I'm not gonna let that happen again you know there's a reason why that happened maybe i'm going to learn from that mm-hmm. and i'm going to leave it behind me and move on mm-hmm a few years ago, I was talking to my nutritionist and I was complaining about how I always felt puffy. I wasn't necessarily bloated, but I always felt puffy. And he told me to start incorporating electrolytes into my daily routine and adding salt to my water. This was not something that I could stomach. So I started adding element to my water and it was such a game changer. I thought that it was counterintuitive because Element, electrolytes, and electrolytes in general contain sodium. I thought sodium would cause puffiness, but really they help to balance the fluid in your body. And ever since I started doing that, I don't have that puffiness that I used to experience. And I noticed so many other benefits as well. I didn't really realize that despite the fact that I was drinking a lot of water, I wasn't replenishing lost electrolytes. And that was leading to headaches, cramping fatigue, some brain fog, just an overall general feeling of weakness. And adding electrolytes to my water completely eliminated that. So Element is a zero sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research revealing that optimal health outcomes occur at sodium levels two to three times government recommendations. So each stick pack of Element delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes free of sugar, artificial colors, or other dodgy ingredients. And it's formulated for anybody on a mission to restore health through hydration. It's perfectly suited for athletes, people who are fasting, anybody following keto, low carb, whole food, or paleo diets. And you guys, I just have to say, I normally drink my citrus or my orange element, but right now, oh my gosh, they have some new flavors. So they have the Element Chocolate Medley. It has chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. It's designed to be enjoyed hot. This chocolate chai is quite possibly my favorite thing that I've ever tasted. So I will mix it sometimes with just hot water, but I will also add it to regular chai, my magnesium latte at night, or coffee in the morning. I've been on a little bit of a coffee kick, which is out of character for me, but oh my gosh, it makes it so, so good. So you guys have to check that out and you can go to drinkelement.com slash blonde and you will receive a free element sample pack with any order when you purchase through that URL. So again, go to drinkelement.com slash blonde check out the chocolate medley and also use that link to receive a free element sample pack with any order. If you are like me and you have a lot of events and parties coming up this holiday season and you want your hair to be on point or if you just want your hair to be on point for everyday life as we all do, then 
you guys need to check out the new Curl Secret by Conair. I am telling you, this is going to be your new favorite styling tool for effortless curls. I've talked about this before, but I was trying to do like the loose, effortless kind of 90s vibe curls. I tried hot rollers. That was a disaster. I've tried other styling tools. Also a disaster. I just could never get it right. But the Curl Secret by Conair makes it so easy. So basically, you can say goodbye to curl drama and hello to perfect long-lasting curls at the push of a button. It's so easy. The Curl Secret by Conair has three preset curl types. It has five temperature options. And usually for me, lower temperature does not work. It doesn't hold, but in this case it does. So I feel like it protects my hair health. It also has a ceramic barrel to protect hair. It has three curl directions. So you don't necessarily get that uniform curl look unless that's what you're going for. And if you're thinking that this all sounds great, but you feel like your hair would completely tangle, they have anti-tangle technology, so it helps to keep hair smooth and protected while styling. It's pretty much foolproof, and this will be your one go-to tool for long-lasting curls. So check it out. You can shop The Curl Secret by Conair, now available at all major retailers. The holidays can be stressful, and under our reindeer sweaters or our cute outfits, we are probably stress sweating about gifts, cooking, parties, family time, all of the things that come along with the joy of the holiday season. But luckily, no matter how stressful it gets, we can all still smell incredible with Lumi. So Lumi is a game-changing whole body deodorant designed by an OBGYN to work not only under our arms, but also it can work on our feet, private parts, and beyond. So no matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long thanks to its one-of-a-kind pH-optimized formula. They have over 275,000 five-star reviews to show for it, so it's pretty incredible. So this holiday, you can cross BO off your list of things to worry about because Lumi has you covered. One of the cool things about Lumi is that not only is it clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours, but unlike most deodorants that try to mask odor with a fragrance, Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. So it's kind of like a pre-odorant. And I really love the clean tangerine scent. It's just really light and fresh. I love that it's baking soda free. It's paraben free. It's safe for anywhere on your body. And they also have not only solid stick deodorant, but they have a cream tube deodorant. They have body wash. They have deodorant wipes. So, so many amazing, convenient products. In fact, you can get a Lumi starter pack. So it's perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, the cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice. So you could get the mini body wash and deodorant wipes. And it also comes with free shipping and as a special offer for my listeners, new customers get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with the exclusive code and link. And for a limited time, returning customers can also get $5 off their next purchase of $30 or more as well. So use the code BLONDE at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Thank you, Lumi, for making this holiday season smell a whole lot better. 
Okay. So something I am so fascinated by is the perspective shift that one gets when they mm-hmm. go to space and they're able to look back at Earth. And we were talking about this before. I've heard some people, I can't remember who, say mm-hmm. it's kind of eerie. Mm-hmm. And one person in particular made it sound a little bit grim, which Ooh. was not your experience. <laughs> and you talked about how you felt like you looked at Earth as heaven and yeah. that we are living on heaven. So can you talk about what yeah. that moment was like for you or moments whether it was a confluence of a bunch of different events and how that shifted your perspective and if it was surprising in any ways really was a moment it was during my second spacewalk and when you're looking at when you first get to space looking at the planet and the stars and everything the moon everything around us through the window of the spacecraft is pretty cool but you're just looking through a window and it's almost like you're admiring the fish in an aquarium. Oh, look at the pretty fish. And then when you become a spacewalker, it's now like you're like a scuba diver, kind of you're interacting with that environment. You don't just have the window of the spaceship that restricts your view. You can look anywhere you want. You can, you have just your thin helmet visor and you can turn and look at the sun and see it in a black sky, which is kind of cool, or look down at the planet or the stars or whatever might be out there at that time. And of course you have to do your work, but you can look and admire and it, my first spacewalk was kind of busy. I didn't have a lot of time to look around, but my second spacewalk, it was actually an easier spacewalk. I felt more comfortable and I had time to look. And it was about halfway through the spacewalk, things were going well. I, was, I had a chance to take a timeout because my spacewalking buddy, Jim Newman, was finishing something up and we had to do the next task together. So I was in a foot restraint, which means I'm nice and stable. And it was a day pass so I could see the earth brightly lit. And I just lost myself in the view. And the thought that went through my mind, there's no words to describe the beauty of our planet. They don't exist. But the thought that went through my mind was, this is like, this must be like a view from heaven. There's only, you know, just, just ran through my head. And then I looked at it and and thought about that for a moment, kept looking at the planet. I thought, no, no, that's quite not right. This is what heaven must look like. And I felt at that moment, I was looking into absolute paradise. And I can't imagine any place anywhere being more beautiful than our, than our home. And you look in the other direction, you do see the darkness out there, you know, you know, and you know, we've checked out the neighborhood, Ariel, and we got nowhere else to go right now. <laughs> we've got to make this planet work. And you see the thinness mm-hmm. of the atmosphere and how delicate it is. It's so fragile. The only reason I could see this view is because I've got a spacesuit on, I have life support. I wouldn't last very long without it. And you can see the thinness of the atmosphere. It's just a blue line over our planet. If you look at pictures of the of the earth sometimes it shows up depending on the angle of the camera it's all that's keeping us alive and it's the like the size relationship it's like the top thin layer of an onion that that very top thin layer that's the size relationship of our atmosphere to the rest of our planet so you see how fragile it is just how beautiful it is that scene that moment has stayed with me Mm. i was talking to jim lovell who is the apollo 13 commander who was portrayed in that movie by tom hanks but the real guy jim lovell was in New York a couple of years ago and I got to spend the day with him. And I was talking about this with him and he said, you know, Mike, a lot of people hope and believe that when they die, they'll go to heaven. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm convinced we were all born there. Mm-hmm. We're in this wondrous place. And that's kind of the way I think about our planet. Now, there are bad things happening all the time. During our conversation, I'm sure, I'm sure something bad has happened that we we'll, mm-hmm. may find out about. You know, it's just terrible. But that's, 
Well, I think that's us messing it up. You know, that's people doing yes. things. The planet itself, I think, is a precious place. It is a paradise for us to live on. And there's opportunities for happiness and love and friendship and just to enjoy it. And after seeing it from afar, I, I think that it's meant, you can really see its true beauty from afar, but you're in a spacesuit and you're kind of just looking at it. You know, you're not really interacting with it much. You're interacting with space, but not with not with the planet. You say, well, look how cool that is out down there. There's no rain. There's no wind. There's no real smells of our planet. There's not a lot of people around you. You might have, you have other crewmates, but it's not like there's you know, a lot of people around us at any one time up there. But that we have all that here. You know, we have the opportunity to enjoy a, a remote area, the mountains, or go to the beach, maybe, if you live near there, or a lake. But even even if you're not near any of those places and we don't you're going to get to go there that often, I you know you can you, I enjoy walking around the city. I look at things differently. Mm. It's amazing the buildings that we have here, the the people, the the pace, the you know the 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 sounds, the smells, the faces that I saw in the subway coming over here today. Mm-hmm. It's magnificent that we're all here together, and it is it is really an amazing place. I like going to the park or looking at artwork or whatever. My watching a television show, you know, it's amazing what we're able to to enjoy here. It really is, I think, a paradise for mm-hmm. us to to explore and try to find our moonshots and mm-hmm. try to find happiness. It's just so beautiful. I I think we should always try to take time out to be amazed yes. of where we are. And that's what I was just gonna say. That was another chapter. Yes, in the book, <laughs> which is yeah. be amazed, but. Yeah. I think we need to remind ourselves because it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, the yep. minutiae, the bad things that are happening, yep. the stressors, all of that. And, you know, not to mention we're like on our phones, so we're walking through <laughs> yeah, the yeah, city yeah, yeah. or even the mountains, yeah. all the stuff around yeah. us that's incredible. Yeah. And we're looking at, you know, Instagram yeah. or email yeah, or yeah. whatever yeah. with our heads down. So like yeah. now more than ever, I think we're completely missing what's yeah. happening around us. So I think it is such a good reminder for everybody to, you know, try to find some like awe in something yeah. every day. Even this morning, I had that in my mind and mm-hmm. I went to open my blinds mm-hmm. in my bedroom window and I opened it and it was like the most beautiful sunrise. You know, mm. the colors were incredible. Yeah. The light reflecting off the buildings. Usually I just yeah. open it and yeah. I walk away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what do I have to do today? Like, yeah. no, what do I get to do today? And just taking those little like micro moments to see and feel that wonder yes, is really nourishing, I think. It's important for us to do that, to realize mm-hmm. how lucky we are. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of blends into what we were talking about earlier with you make a mistake, don't dwell on it. Don't lose a second. Learn and and leave bad things in the past if you can and 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 try to look forward and, and try to, as I said, live in the present, you know, but, but it's, it, take that moment when you can and, and just look around at how amazing mm-hmm. things are, you know, the, the changes in the season or the holidays that are coming up or whatever it might be. Just, mm-hmm. just take a moment to look around. The, the other thing that hit me when I was looking at the planet, and this happened more, it was toward the end of my second flight in space where I think I had built up enough time of going around the planet that I started thinking differently about where I was from. I had grown up in uh, in Long Island, just outside of New York City, Franklin Square, just outside the Queens border here in New York. Just a little kid, we didn't go very many places. Mm-hmm. And that's where everything was, my school, my play, the playground, my home, the library, pizza place. That was it, you know, those few blocks of my town. And I would 
go other places and even go off to college. And but that was always I was thought of that as home. And then as I got older and started working and going to different places around the country, I, I thought of myself more as a New Yorker. You know, mm. the whole the region. Maybe I'm from New York. That's where I'm from. And and then when I became an astronaut, I, you know, I went to work many days in a flight suit with an American flag on my arm, and I was an American. It was an international program, but I was an American. I travel around the world or even a space, and I was doing that as an American. The United States was my home. But after after going around the planet so often, and on my second flight, it, that kind of hit me, looking at the Earth, is that's home. And that's that's where everything is. is. That's where everybody lives. Everyone who has lived that we know about is there. You know, mm-hmm. Maybe there's life somewhere else. I think there is. We haven't found each other yet. But mm-hmm. as far as we know, everybody we know that has came before us and will come after and is here now, we're all on this one place. We all share it. No matter where you're from, no matter what you do, that's home. And I think of myself now as a citizen of planet Earth. When I think of home, I, I think of the whole planet and it's mm-hmm. a, a place we all share. Mm-hmm. Did it make you feel insignificant in any way? I mean, I have had experiences, Mm -hmm. nothing like that, but where I feel insignificant just when I think about, you know, how long there have been humans on earth Mm -hmm. and like if I'm traveling and recently last year I was in Rome and Mm -hmm. being at the museums there and seeing everything. I'm like, how did this happen? (laughs) Who am I? It's just when you get that perspective, sometimes you're like, wow. And I, I enjoy it because Mm -hmm. for me, it makes me kind of feel right-sized and mm-hmm. I I realize, okay, my problems are not as big as I mm-hmm. think they are. And mm-hmm. certain things that I place a lot of importance on are not so important. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine going to space and having that perspective, you might feel that. Was that your experience at all? Or did no, you feel no. significant? Like, hey, I, I I'm one of those people down yeah, there. <laughs> I, I guess I didn't think of it like I'm significant or I'm insignificant. I, uh-huh. I guess I felt like it, that that we as a group are not insignificant, that mm. we are really important because mm-hmm. we have such a cool planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there might be life other places, mm-hmm. but I would challenge them to a planet contest. I don't <laughs> think, I think we have the greatest, when you see, it's just like an oasis and it's yeah. so beautiful that I didn't feel insignificant at all. I mm. feel like, wow, we are really special. Mm-hmm. We are so fortunate. We are so lucky to have this place to live. So no, it hit me like, we're really, look at those other planets out there, <laughs> frozen places and no air over here. And this has got a lot of radiation and uh-huh. Venus is, you know, like 700 degrees or whatever. You know, we can't live there. Who wants to go there? That's terrible. Yeah. yeah we have the greatest place ever. And so it, it didn't make me feel in, insignificant. It made made me feel actually we're, we're kind of important. When you turn about the whole, like, like the, the earth and who's lived before and everything, there was a moment I had coming into during a spacewalk where I would, again, I had a chance to enjoy this. When you go around the planet at 17,500 miles an hour, which is quite fast. So it takes 90 minutes more or less to do one lap, one orbit. About half that time's in darkness, half that time's in sunlight. The sunlight is this beautiful, bright mm. white light. It's like a pure white light. Everything. I wish I could take my eye exam with that light. It just made everything <laughs> look so much clearer. It was, I, wow. I, I never saw, I never would experience anything that, that, the light being so beautiful. Mm-hmm. When you go into darkness, it's the darkest dark. Mm. It's like the absence of all light. Mm. And you have to use your helmet lights and lights around the spacecraft to be able to get around there and do your spacewalk. But that transition also comes with a few hundred degrees swing in temperature. 
you don't feel that whole amount, but you can certainly feel the warmth and the cold. And you have some temperature control to adjust if needed. But you can feel the the warmth of the sun before you see it. It's kind of like if you're uh, in the ocean or in a lake or you get a cold current or a warm current and you feel it down in your bones, you get like a chill or a warm feeling in your bones. That's what it's like. You'll feel it down in your bones before you'll see it. So you feel the warmth and you just wait a second and then you see the, the sun like a big star in a black sky. And then you look back down at the earth and you can see a line on our planet. And to the right of it is sunlight. It's bright, bright light. It's daytime. And to the left of it is darkness. It's, it's nighttime. And that line is what we call the terminator. It's the day-night line. Hmm. And as you're looking at it, it moves and it's tracking across the planet. Right? And what it is, you realize it's the rotation of our planet. Wow. So you see the sun out there not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, the sun will come up tomorrow. That that's that's not really quite quite right. right. The sun's <laughs> not going any place. Yeah. We're the ones that are spinning here. Yeah. And it's like the earth will will rotate toward the sun again tomorrow. And we, but when you said, you know, people have been here for so long, or how long where are we? We're in all of this, you know, you saw the artwork in 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 Florence or in Rome, mm-hmm. where in Italy, both, both yeah. places. Okay, great <laughs> stuff, right? That I had this sense, this motion of our planet looking at it was so steady hmm. it didn't hesitate it it didn't hiccup it was not going to stop it was it had the sense of permanence that this is going to continue to move it was this huge planet just moving like that and just just continuous motion steady motion and i i had the sense that the reality that we learn is that it's been going on for billions of years and this dance between the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars this is motion, this cosmic dance is going to be going on for billions of years, most likely, after we're gone. Yeah. After I'm gone. Yeah. We're just here at this time, but all this is going to continue to go on. Mm-hmm. But that still didn't make me feel insignificant. It made me realize <laughs> that, you know, now's our time to, yeah. to do what we can do. You know, this is our time on, on this planet yeah. in this in this wonderful place to we're given this opportunity and let's see what we can do with mm-hmm. it. I like that perspective. So having achieved your moonshot, then what? Do you have another moonshot? <laughs> well, yes, I do. I, I think the the phases of life are kind of come and go. And mm-hmm. I think that we we find ourselves sometimes in in different phases. So my my phase as an astronaut is probably the most significant phase of my life. I don't, I don't say it in a sad way. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some things that you do that are just really cool. And it, it doesn't mean that what comes next is going to be any better or worse. It's just mm-hmm. going to be different. But I really enjoy where uh, what I'm doing now. I would say as much as I did being an astronaut, which is getting a chance to, to tell the story of space. I, I teach at Columbia. I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy talking about it with you and others to kind of spread the word and writing the book and the occasional TV appearance. Mm-hmm. I do talk about my next moonshot though. Amazingly enough, it's in the book. We were with Bill Prady. Yes. Chuck's, I read uh, that. Colleague, right? Uh-huh. That what I, I think about the way that humor and stories mm-hmm. when they're told well can entertain and inspire people. Bring Chuck in here for a minute. I was sure. having a conversation with him while we were shooting one day during a break. And I was like, you know, Chuck, this show is amazingly popular. Yeah, people know me from the Big Bang Theory more than they do from my space, including uh-huh. the people at NASA. The people at NASA don't know that I went to Hubble. Maybe they know I was an astronaut, but what they really know is they like the Big Bang Theory and they saw uh-huh. me on that show. So I was asking, what's with this? Sh-? And he said, you know, Mike, what it does 
is it shows, I'm okay. paraphrasing here, but, but he said it shows the smart people, the scientists as a community. They're quirky and different, but it shows them as a community. Mm -hmm. And he went on to tell me how the show would get letters from people you know, who were who identified with the show that mm -hmm. we all have these little quirky things, but they really love the show for that reason because it shows them as a community. And he felt like the things they were interested in were portrayed on the show as not being maybe being different, but not weird. You know, yes. and it, it it really inspired people and entertained them. It was a great mm -hmm. show. And so Bill and I took a shot at trying to uh, develop a show and we got a script accepted for a uh, for a pilot and then the network didn't like it. So we, so like, oops, you know, I think they liked it, but they passed uh -huh. on making, making the pilot and so on. And so, you know, Chuck has a lot of successes. You have a lot of successes, but I'm sure for everyone, there's a lot. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. That is a tough business. Yeah. Right? And it's, yeah. it is really tough Yeah, uh, to get a show made and to, you know, to be successful. It's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that want to do that. And it's not easy to, to get that done. To be honest. That is my next moonshot. I would like to get involved with a, a, a program that is a television program that is funny, mm -hmm. but shows the the some of these experiences that I've had, how the, the NASA teamwork works, and how it was really, really a fun experience. Mm -hmm. And I think also pay tribute to the space shuttle program, which ran for 30 years and mm -hmm. the ups and downs. So I think that's what that would be my next moonshot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That might be tougher than becoming an astronaut to get a TV show made. But I don't know. You know the right people. <laughs> and Chuck <laughs> would Chuck would tell you. I mean, yeah. his he did not start out with a bunch of hits. Right. I mean, he was fired from Roseanne, mm -hmm. and then I think was he was he really? fired from mm -hmm. Sybil, and mm. then he had a couple okay shows, and yeah. then he was just like putting out stinker after stinker. Mm -hmm. He would tell you, and he really thought that his career was kind of over yeah. and somebody told him to start saying yes to everything. And mm -hmm. he was approached by, I think Lee Aronson mm -hmm. who said, I have this idea for this show mm -hmm. about these two men and their mm -hmm. kit. Mm -hmm. And Chuck was like, I mean, sure. <laughs> that was two and a half men yeah. and that revived his career. Really? Yeah. That was a huge hit. And then yeah. after that was big bang. But I mean, he's been doing it for, essentially as long as I've been alive yeah. and he didn't have that yeah. straight trajectory either. He got told no a lot. And even before that, I mean, he wanted to be a musician. He didn't even want to be mm. in TV. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, he's, he's actually a really good person to talk to about all of this yeah. as well, because you look at where he is now and assume that it was just, you know, linear yeah like we're saying right. and and it was not it was anything but yeah so well that's very thank you for inspiring me for my next sure. moonshot Ariel. <laughs> no but that's but that's the truth that's that's the that's the thing i mean I've, the book was great i love my teaching i really like writing i find it to be really enjoyable and, mm -hmm. and fulfilling i like speaking to audiences of mm -hmm. uh i enjoy giving speeches to companies and to groups and whoever it might be i i enjoy it allows me to re relive these experiences and I feel help people. Yeah. I think for me, the next level would be if I could, and I don't know if this will ever happen, but at least try to pursue a, a program that would bring these stories and this inspiration and this help mm -hmm. to people in a larger way, mm -hmm. which would be through a, through a, some sort of 
television program. Are you listening, so, Hollywood? I know I go. have I know I have some Hollywood people there. that listen. So yeah, hook but, this man up. Yeah, you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, so you're we, a, you're an amazing storyteller, so. and you know I devoured the book in like mm-hmm. a day and a half because it's not just you talking mm-hmm. about the experience. I mean, it's you really feel like you are living it, and it's mm-hmm. humorous. You bring a lot of levity to it, so I could definitely see how that would translate into yeah. entertainment as well. I think too, it's like, I think life, you put yourself in different communities, I think mm-hmm. in some ways, like it was um, the community that I went to MIT and a lot mm-hmm. of people wanted to become astronauts. There were a few and, you know, it didn't seem like it was crazy. And then I was an astronaut. It was a great community to be a part of. And, and now the academic community is pretty interesting and cool. Mm-hmm. But I really like the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the problem <laughs> is that I made so many friends. I still stay in touch with Mayan Bialik gave me this great blurb uh, for the yeah, back of the saw. book. It was it was so much fun, and even just doing this thing with Bill, mm-hmm. we had Dan Greeny, a writer from The Simpsons, and we had uh, Jamie Widows, who's a, mm-hmm. I, I think his work with with Chuck as a director, yeah. and and we would sit around and have these brainstorming sessions, and it was just hilarious. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> I just want an excuse to hang around with these people. I know because it really was a fun community to be a part of, and yeah. so I think that's what that's what I like the most. It's funny how we ended up talking about that. I wasn't doing it on purpose. <laughs> no, really. no, it it's funny. It people ask me if yeah. Chuck is going to retire, and I'm like, no. I mean, he has so much fun. Yeah. I go there sometimes to his office. I'm sure you've been there, you know, the different writers rooms and everything. And, you know, it's playful. There's a playful aspect to it. And, you know, despite him being quite a bit older than me, he still has that playfulness and that energy because he's immersed in these worlds and this creativity like day in, day out. I could see the draw you know i've never yeah. wanted to be in entertainment but i'm like that looks fun yeah it was. and big bang to your point i mean i would go yeah. to like the live tapings and mm-hmm. and everything and i think i started dating him kind of in the last mm-hmm. few years of that show and it was very much like a family like very tight knit yeah. and and it was very impactful because i think it made you know these kids and people who kind of felt like outliers yeah. feel cool and they've done that, you know, even with the foundation and they have the Big Bang Theory scholarship at mm-hmm. UCLA and yeah. to see these kids, same thing, you know, kind of nerdy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, not a lot of advantages go through and, you know, graduate in STEM and go on to grad school and do amazing things. Like it's mm-hmm. it's had a huge impact. It, it was a very positive experience and, yeah. and it reminded me a lot of how I felt as an astronaut at NASA because hmm. everyone had a role. People were very appreciative. Everybody was appreciative on that set, mm-hmm. whether they were the the actors or the writers, Chuck, Bill, or whoever it was. And I think that's what you, you want to be part of a team like that, where people yeah. are looking out for each other and doing something that they enjoy, that they feel is important. I think that's one of the things that the folks listening, I would encourage them to look for. Look for a community of people are like-minded and are going to look out for each other and look out for you and you can look out for them Mm -hmm. because when you build that sort of relationship that sort of bond it makes going to work a pleasure Mm -hmm. and that's that's what i felt like with my experience on the big bang theory and and also at nasa and there's not many places like that yeah but i think they're out there and that's what we should strive for for Mm -hmm. each and it's different for everybody Mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same for everybody but if you can find that community and to be a part of i i I think that that's that's a good place to be Mm mm-hmm well, thank you so much. This was so fascinating. And, you know, I think, like I said in the beginning, the lessons are so relevant no matter what your circumstances are yeah. in life. So tell everybody where they can find you and find your book 
find me. I have a website, mikemassimino.com. And I'm on, I was the first guy to tweet from space. Yes, I know. We didn't talk yeah. about that. It Pick became that an SNL Armstrong. skit, that? right? Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> I got made fun of on Saturday Night Live for my for my tweet. It was, it was I didn't really think much about it because I had gotten advice from Neil Armstrong that you weren't supposed to worry about what you were going to say when you're in space. Because uh-huh. he said, he told me he didn't think about what he said on the moon, famously. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So when I was asked to send the first tweet from space, I'm like, I'm not going to worry about that. Neil Armstrong didn't worry about it. And mm-hmm. He came up with something pretty good. Well, I'm no Neil Armstrong. <laughs> I, I got to space and I just wrote, launch was awesome and vegetable, <laughs> something like that. And it made fun of me on Saturday Night Live as a result. But yeah, uh, you can find me on on uh, Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, at Astro underscore Mike, Astro Mike Massimino on Instagram. I have a Facebook page, LinkedIn. And on my website, there's a place you can reach me if you're so inclined. And the book, Moonshot, A NASA Astronaut's Guide to Achieving the Impossible, that's available just about anywhere that you like to get a book. And hopefully, what I hope is that this conversation we've had, even if people don't buy the book, if they buy the book, even, you know, may, maybe maybe it also help them achieve their moonshots. Because mm-hmm. like I said, if I, if I could do it, Ariel, anybody can. Mm-hmm. And there were certain things I learned along the way that I thought were really helpful for me. And that's what that's what's in that book. And that's mm-hmm. what I hope people understand is that it's, it's possible. You mm-hmm. just have to hang in there and and come up with your 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 guide. This is a guide for that, so hopefully it will help mm-hmm. for everyone to achieve whatever their moonshot might be. Mm-hmm. And with the holidays coming up, I'm sure everybody has somebody in their life who is maybe trying to achieve something too, or maybe yeah. they're stuck and they're, they want to yeah. figure it out. So it's a great gift as well. And thank so. you so much for coming oh, on. Pleasure. It's amazing. Thanks, thanks for having me, Ariel. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.